You're listening to the North Peace Roundtable Podcast, your weekly podcast about theology and the Christian life. Well, good morning, fellas. Uh, it's morning, that's for sure. Minus 40, 32. 32. Yeah. I always look at my weather app and it says it's minus 32, but it feels like minus five. I'm like, I don't trust my feelings. Right? <laughs> the heart is deceptive. That's right. Don't Who's trust your feelings. Who's standing out there saying, <laughs> it feels colder. Okay. The temperatures, might, what does it feel like, Brad? <laughs> the, the, the weather guy. Mm, it feels like it's minus 50. <laughs> Can I come in now? <laughs> yeah, it's fine. We'll, we'll send you back out in an hour. Oh, man. Well, thanks for tuning in. This is episode 96. My name is Andrew. With me, as always, is Cameron. Good morning, everyone. And Corlin. I like the slight hesitation. Is every morning is Cameron? Yeah. Yeah. We Good morning. Like three in a row now that Cam's back with us. I know. Wow. Man, so the prodigal son. Um, so we have. <laughs> back on the wagon. <laughs> back on the way. <laughs> Give it time. Uh, we have two questions that we're going to deal with today, both uh, brought to us by Corland. Yep. So without further ado, I'm going to let him kind of intro the first one and then we'll dive in. All right. So the first question that I have for us today uh, is actually about Bible translation and how we should navigate that as Christians today. Uh, so basically, uh, for those of you who do not know, the Bible was not written in English. It was not written in, I don't know if, if your first language is French because we're in Canada. It wasn't written in either of those two languages. It was written in ancient Hebrew and Aramaic and then Greek as well. Uh, and so what translators have done is gone and taken languages uh, and then taken languages. Man, that's not a great it's way of putting good. it. It's good. <laughs> They've gone and they've taken the original text and translated them into different languages. So translations are still accurate, uh, but they aren't the original language. And sometimes there are words that just don't quite translate well, um, or even sayings that don't translate quite the same. Like we don't get quite the same gist of things. <clears throat> uh, so a prime example of this, like for context that might be more applicable or understandable to us to st start us off is I remember, so my dad grew up uh, speaking German and he did not teach any of us kids German. And the amount of times that he would tell a joke and be laughing to himself and, or just be laughing to himself and not tell us why, then when us kids would ask, like, why are you laughing? He'd say, oh, I just thought of a joke in German, but it's not the same in English. And so he legitimately wouldn't tell us the joke because he knew that translating it into it won't English. Be as funny or yeah, yeah, you, yeah, it would lose its its meaning, whether it's how the words would sound together, those types of things. And so it's not that he wouldn't necessarily be able to translate word for word. It's that with culture and with language barriers, there's just certain things that are are not quite as uh, nuanced, if that makes sense. You, sure. You don't get all of the meaning. Uh, and so the question kind of stemmed, I was reading uh, some books on about the Bible, and one of the authors of the book made a, good, made a point about us needing to do the work of going back and trying our best to understand their culture and their language so that we could best understand our translations. Mm -hmm. um, so I basically, if uh, the only other thing that I'll say before we get into the discussion part is if you've come to our church or if you've been to church in general, oftentimes you'll hear pastors do this during their sermons too, is they'll hop back to the ancient context and culture where they'll be preaching, they'll have read from whichever Bible you guys read from the ESV, NASB, NIV, NLT, whatever it is. 
And then they'll be preaching and they'll stop on a word and be like, oh yeah, by the way, in the ancient, you know, whatever language that passage is translated from, it meant this. And then they flesh out a word and try and help build your understanding. So this is the direction we're going to be going. How important is that actually to do? Because if our English translations are, are good and we can trust them, why do we still feel the need to do that? Hmm. Uh, and then also in like every an everyday Joe or Sally's study, is it important to do that? Can you not just sit down with your English Bible and not have to worry about trying to like do ancient Greek word studies and try and figure out all those things? Yeah. Discuss. <laughs> Well, I think like also didn't the the quote you read me from that book was he said only the first manuscripts are inspired. Your the, English translations are not inspired. I was God. looking for that quote this morning because that's not quite how he words it, but it is the gist that comes off of that quote. Because he was saying, OK, sense. yeah, the literal, you know, Jeremiah's, you know, Baruch, the guy that wrote the book of Jeremiah is Jeremiah is telling him what to write. That first scroll is inspired. But as you've made copies and copies and copies and we get to the book of Jeremiah we have today, when you read it to me it, or quoted it, it kind of sounded like he was saying like my Bible sitting here on my desk. Well, it's not inspired. It comes from the inspired scroll or whatever. And so, yeah, that's a and then we just had this conversation. You and me, Corlin, had this conversation of like, is that true? Like, or does God guide the whole process, not just the original scroll of Jeremiah and you know out of the tens of thousands of manuscripts that we have that we've written our English translations from how do we know that those ones are the very 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 first ones if none of them after that are yeah you know what I'm saying like yep. so it's a couple it's like a a few part question like is that true maybe the gist of what he was trying to say like that's why we should go back to the original manuscripts yeah. because those are the inspired ones. Is that true? Or can we have confidence that like our Bibles today are the inspired word of God or not? Or Cameron, you're smart. Solve yeah. this for us. <laughs> I think, I think pastors just like to look smart on stage by unpacking. <laughs> hey. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, I, the Greek is uh glogenklerk. Only because uh, <laughs> that sounds more like German. Yeah. You know, my, Obviously, my wife, English is her third language, so learning uh, Russian and a little bit of uh, Latvian, you can ap to completely appreciate how mm -hmm. uh, she's the exact same way. Like, oh, I just wouldn't make sense, but yep. I like to understand how she views it. So now, like, when we uh, <laughs> when we pull into Walmart and she, if she's judging my parking and I go beside cars, she'll kind of laugh and say, which means the cows all follow each other. <laughs> <laughs> Which, if you just told the kid, oh, yeah, look, the cows fall, like, they wouldn't maybe understand, but in that context, it's like, well, you can't think for yourself and find a parking spot <laughs> around other people, uh, you know, not next to the other person when there's, like, 15 empty. The cows all follow each other. Which is like kind of funny, right? Because funny. now, like, I'll say that if she does that, because I think it's funny because I've understood the context of the joke. And yeah. But had uh, that joke, she done that while we're dating, I'd be like, oh, that's a weird, you, that's yeah. strange. So I think that... Um, if someone is really interested, and I know in some PhD programs you have to go and study and learn Hebrew to the point of being completely competent and comfortable in the language. Yeah. But then you're not exposed to culture, so there's actually even programs where you're going to go live there now for six months after you've learned the language and then um, and then be, maybe be in a position to have any kind of confidence or competency in the way that you that you share. So I think we have to be careful in that 
you know, looking at a scripture and being like, what does that word mean? Well, that word is just like one small element of like the whole spirit behind what's trying to be conveyed. And, mm. and we are at the disadvantage from not being in the ancient Near East. Totally. To, you know, 3000 years ago. So we do have this lens looking back and really, um, I think, I think you can sit around your Bible study with the English Bible and be, totally. you know, God, please, you know, show us what you're trying to say. And I think that, you know, if you're looking through two lenses, what was God doing then and what was he saying then? And is there an application for today? But being okay if there's not an application for today in mm -hmm. some context and some story, because there may not be. So I think as long as you're looking at that scripture through yeah. what's trying to, what a, like, I don't know. I just get challenged when everyone looks through scripture, like what's the kaleidoscope? Like what's behind the scenes? What a what's the key to unlock the message behind these words? Sure. That's a bit challenging for me. Yeah. Like I think, you know, second Timothy three talks about all scripture being breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So all scripture breathed out by God. And we've, we've talked lots about how, you know, that doesn't mean that, Dude, just dudes went into heaven. a trance and, <clears throat> you know, the Holy Spirit took over their bodies and they didn't know what they were writing. Or, yeah, golden plates fall down from heaven. Yeah. Uh, I think Paul in Second Timothy, what he's saying is that God guided that whole process. He told his so prophets, for instance, he told them, hey, say this, write this down. And they wrote it down. And then when Paul's writing letters, I don't think he I think he was just writing letters inspired by the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to yeah. write my letter to the church in Corinth. So for me, when I when you kind of read that idea of like, and maybe and we said maybe that's not what the author meant, but that's what it sounded like. Yeah, you know, only the first manuscripts are the inspired ones. I just kind of went, well, if God can guide the process over thousands of years of writing the Bible, why wouldn't why wouldn't He guide the process of translating the Bible? Like, yeah. And again, I think then we we went and me and you, Corlin, went into this debate of like, well, then when do so any copy of any, so when they took yep. the scroll of Isaiah and made that first copy, that first copy is not, what if we only have that first copy? Like, yeah. When does the inspiration stop? Right? Yeah. So I, th I think it, it comes down, at least in my mind, it comes down to a question of our translations, regardless of into what language an accurate means yeah. and reliable. Totally. And I would say, yes, absolutely. They totally. are. Otherwise we wouldn't Except have translators. Yeah, <laughs> not a translation. <laughs> Well, um, then again, it depends on how the translation was made and if yes. it took due process and, and yep. it was critiqued and reviewed. And yeah, and most translations like ESV, NASB, NLT, NIV, all these. And if you're listening, you're like, what the heck are these letters? Different translations. Yeah. If you read like most like the ESV is the one that I use and there's like 40 Hebrew Greek scholars who translated the Bible over and who have dedicated their lives to do. Yeah. This. And you think about, we have missionaries, the Ungers, and he's right now, he's a Bible translator translating it into the Doku language for the Solomon islands. And he explained a little bit of the process and it's like, yeah, they don't take it lightly. It's not just like, yeah, you know, that's good enough. Like yeah. they've translated it and then they go and they take it to the people who are not to all the people, but, people of that yep. native language and then they have to go through it and make edits and try and figure out, no, that word doesn't make any sense. Yep. And da, da, da. So it's a long process. Yep. Right. Um, so I think we could say, yeah, you can, you can trust English translations. They're, they're a good 
a good translation, right? Yeah. They're, they're not, it's not, I like what you said, Cam. It's not like we're going, oh man, it's good, but we're missing out on something. Mm-hmm. There's like hidden, there's hidden knowledge that we don't have yet. Um, I think like any kind of language, sure, there's things that you're like, oh, interesting, that Greek word, they translated this because that's the closest English equivalent but it, it could be a couple. Th- oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But I don't think there's anything in the Bible that goes like, oh, that means that Jesus isn't the son of God. True. Like there's nothing like that. Yeah. Right. That drastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think when you go back and you translate Greek or Hebrew words, I think the only really interesting thing is that it brings to lighter and unveils something that meant more to them because we're not Greek. So like for you to understand sure. the Greek word isn't going to like pull back the veil of some new understanding other than what folks in that those days in that moment would have understood when a metaphor was used or a hyperbole was used or a par- yeah. like that's quite fascinating to us and the beauty and miracle of the bible is there is often application through that but it's different application than what would have been heard or used yeah then i'd say more so than like the language thing when you're doing bible study it's the context so I even laugh mm. like that clothing brand. She is clothed with strength and dignity. I'm like, that psalm is about a city. It's yeah. not about a woman. Yeah. And yet it's like, I've seen women post that as like, that's about me. I'm clothed with, no, you're not Jerusalem. Like, that's not about you, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I think more so than like, oh, what does the Hebrew word mean? I think Christians need to do a better job at like, what does the context mean? Yeah. Uh, and then that's not to say like, Hey, like you, you're diving into some Hebrew stuff and I'm not saying that that's a waste of time. I think it's, it's really interesting and good, yeah. but for the average person who's like, I don't have time to dive into Hebrew and Greek. It's like, I don't, I don't think you're missing out on no. like, Oh man, if only you knew like, no. right. I, I think for me that d- diving into like original word stuff is really helpful on highly debated passages. So even I just listened to a, a seven hour podcast, Mike Winger, oh, yeah. on head coverings. You finished it? I did. Nice. Uh, but he he did he broke First uh, Corinthians eleven might be one of the most debated passages in the Bible in modern Christianity. And anyways. so he went into okay. So the word for head in Greek, you know, the man is the head of the wife, kephale. What does that actually mean? And I'm like, yeah, I think that's more important than like what does the word the mean in yep. the book of Matthew or whatever right so for me i find it helpful when it's like highly debatable passages yep. or i'm avoiding the word controversial cuz i don't think it's controversial but it's just we debate it yeah and then it's i find it super fascinating I'm like oh that's what that word meant to the greek speaking people like that's yeah. helpful but when i get up and do my you know, devotions in the morning and I read from John, I, I'm, I'm often not looking up Greek and Hebrew. I'm just going, okay, Lord, like, yeah, this is the inspired word of God. Like it should apply to me somehow. Like, yeah. what is this? What, how and, do- and we can trust our English translations to have been done accurately so long as they are an actual good translation, not like the passion, uh, or translations of the such. It'd be like, even if you're reading one of the Bibles that a JW has given you, they mess with those translations severely. And so then they, 
it's not accurate anymore because of what they've done to it. But stuff, yeah, totally. There are translations that are accurate that you can sit down with and be confident. Um, but you may even then question like, well, which translation should I use? Because there's a whole bunch of different ones. And I, I don't know if we've, I can't remember if we've covered that on the podcast. We may have, but it's something that we can talk about it's another like time. Four or something, probably. But <laughs> I think there is. Uh, because the English language is not Hebrew, I, I would argue that there is benefit to having multiple different translations. Like if you're, mm-hmm. it's one thing to just sit down and read uh, uh, for a moment in your day from one translation. But if you're actually going to be working through a passage and, and putting work into understanding what the passage means, uh, I would argue that it's beneficial to have a couple of different translations because that's what translators do. That's what you'll see in the translations uh, to some extent is translations uh, will take one route to translate a word and the other one will take a slightly different route. They both mean a similar thing, but when you take, at least for me, when I take those two different translations, it helps me flesh out what the text is trying to say. Totally. It's not that there's a secret hidden knowledge. It's that it helps me build my understanding of what the text is trying to say. And so then even going for the ancient Hebrew words, if you are interested in doing stuff like that, I think that that's the kind of thing uh, that it can help you do. It's not, yeah, it's not that there's a secret hidden knowledge in the ancient languages. No. Um, but it, it can help us understand the context and can help us interpret it if we understand what the original text w- is saying and then look at our translations. And honestly, most of the time when you look at those words and then you look at our translations, you're like, Oh, that's actually pretty that good. Yep. There's a few times maybe, especially with translations that have aged a little bit where you're like, Oh, I don't know if that word quite fit quite fits what I would use in that context. But usually it's, it's pretty accurate, right? You have a team of scholars that's d- trying to do the yep. most accurate translation that they can. So that it's not like they're just throwing in words willy nilly. Yeah. It's been my experience that um, English is second or third language. People have a better uh, time with King James version or new King James version because of the English that's learned overseas. The English that's learned overseas is often proper English, not really, is that, that's modern interesting. slang. So when I learned Russian in school, I learned government Russian because that's what they teach. And my wife and, and we were trying to speak and she's like, yeah, you're not talking normal Russian. It would be like us hearing an English person from England speak proper English. Oh, interesting. So then that's the so translation to English originally was not North American. It was you know King Arthur's court type, you know, yeah. old English. So when someone from a um, yeah another culture learning English on the other side of the world, they'll often learn an older English, and so they're easy, much easier to navigate than than even NIV. So NASB was probably the next closest to like after New King James, where it's like okay, I can still it's older English, but not you know modern yeah modern English. So yeah, just in a little that's interesting. interesting. Yeah, and I think too like one thought that came to mind is you know most the study Bibles. We'll just put it in the footnotes. Yeah. It'll have a little one or a, a little tiny italics thing, and it'll say, this word also means this. And it's like, oh, okay. And mm-hmm. still, usually, it's not a disconnected thought. No, but I actually really appreciate that. Like, you don't have to go to school and learn Greek because I'm like, uh, you can, and I think it's great. But I like, you know, I, uh, so I'll give you an example. You know, say I, my Bible is open on Second Corinthians, and, uh, Oh, now I got to find this really fast. So number seven, the point is this, whoever sows uh, sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully, and there's like a little number seven by bountifully, and then the, and it says Greek with blessings. Oh, okay. So whoever sows with blessings or bountifully, 
yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Right. So even in your own Bibles, scholars have done a lot of the work for you to be like, mm -hmm. this word also means that. Oh, yeah. okay. Interesting. So that can be helpful even as you read to, you know, buy a good study Bible. Yeah. Uh, that's super helpful because yep. they have that kind of stuff like in the margins, in the notes to help you go, okay, that Greek word. I mean, it doesn't even say what the Greek word is. Yep. Like how to spell it or anything. They just say it could be translated. It means this. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. So, all that to say, I think yeah, you can trust our English translations. Um, besides, you know, a few that we've mentioned that aren't really translations but are abominations. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, most most translations are really good and accurate. And you can trust them. It's not like, okay, yeah, the ESV is good, but it's not the Greek. It's like, no, the ESV and the NASB, and the, they're yeah. really good translations. Yeah, I think I've used the example before because uh, there is the question of like, well, over the years, aren't the translations messed with or don't you lose meaning and stuff like that or sure. lose pieces of it? Um, and just really practically a, a parable that someone actually tested uh, they went to a classroom of like, I think it was anywhere between like grade seven and four, something like that. It, it, they were relatively young kids that they went to. Yeah. Um, and this individual brought like a poem, just a random poem. And just for the sake of his study, he was like, OK, all of you kids write this poem down like you can look at it. You can like write it down word for word, sentence for sentence, period, capitalizations, everything in it. Write it down exactly as you see fit. Uh, and so he got however many copies back. I can't remember how many kids he had included in this study. Um, and when he got it back, he looked and he was like, oh, my goodness, like this is rough. How in the world do do biblical scholars do this? Right. Uh, and so he brought it to someone who is used who who is very educated in putting stuff together like this. And so this individual took all of those copies and she pieced it together with, I think there was not one discrepancy from the original. Wow. Hmm. That's cool. And I, th I think, again, I, I should look it up, but I think if I remember correctly, there was over 200 discre discrepancies within the like copies. But when she pieced it together and did the work of actually like looking and being like, ah, this word is used more often than this from all these different transcripts. Okay, I, this is the word that probably was the original. 100% accuracy. Wow, that's there so wasn't cool. a single mistake. And so then this is where it gets like where you actually have to put some critical thinking if you you're questioning your translation. Do you think that a team of scholars who passionately care about getting the message of the gospel out there are going to just lazily like a bunch of grade 4 to 6s? Yeah. copy words messily or miss punctuations like just because they're lazy? Of course not, right? And so then when you have team after team after team reviewing these, like the the process in which translators go through to get us our English Bibles is incredibly extensive. Yeah. And so to think that that's just a lazy effort, that we're missing the actual thing, I, I just think that's a poor excuse and something that people use to sell you snake oil. It's not actually grounded in anything. And Tupperware. Yeah, and, and Tupperware. Essential oils. <laughs> Multimedia marketing. <laughs> Multi-level, not Okay, media. we need to stop before we get into more trouble. Uh. <laughs> All right. All right, sweet. Kay. What's the second I thought question? we need the music. Well, I don't you, feel like We're going to switch it up today? Yeah. All right. Uh, I think that, that answers it. I so think so. Corlin had uh, a second question. 
Yeah. So the second question that I have, uh, I don't know how many people in this room or let alone who listen to the podcast have ever listened to or seen or been to uh, debates. I think it's less of a thing in our culture now. I feel like we're not quite as intellectual in our culture as we were a while ago. So we TikTok don't talk debate. Yeah. We just have like mean <laughs> online messages we send to people. Now we don't actually go and debate things in like professional settings as much. Uh, but there are still some Christian ministries that do this. Totally. Um, so one, you can find them all over the place. So I don't feel bad putting their names out there places like uh answers in genesis they often have live forums or debates yeah, like ken like, ham and bill nye yeah the science guy debated they'll have a debate like that uh apologia studios they often put out on their youtube channel debates between them and mormons uh and then there's other lots of others um where they will come forward, and if you're not familiar with what it is i, I don't want to assume everyone knows what it is an actual debate would be where you have a Two different parties, most of the time two different parties, represented by one or two people each on the stage. You have a, a moderator, I almost said mediator, a moderator in the middle uh, who keeps it civil, basically, and, and keeps up like timestamps. Like it's kind of like a game of chess where you have like a certain amount of time to state your piece. Uh, and then uh, what they'll do is they'll present their two different sides in as in in an uh, wow english is hard start episode, almost speaking in tongues there we've done this 96 times and he can <laughs> they they start speaking in their intellectual ways to present their ideas and yes. their opinions uh and their thoughts and basically uh to my understanding anyways they're left then you if you're sitting in the audience of one of these are left to then weigh the evidences that are brought forward and and you can make a decision on what you would believe based on this um, and so the, my question is, is for Christian ministry, is this actually a useful ministry? Is it a good ministry to be a part of? What could it look like? Because I know our, I don't think our church has ever just brought up like a formal debate on Christianity versus, I don't know, X, Y, Z. No. So I don't know. I was just curious. What are your guys' thoughts on that? What do you feel? What do you think? Yeah. When you texted us, you basically said like, is it an... Is it actually an effective ministry? Yes. And why or why not would we as a church ever host something like it? So, yeah, is it an effective ministry to to host debates? Or even Apologia more, more so doesn't like host formal debates. They do, but it's more like I'm going to go out and stand in front of the Mormon tabernacle and then ask Mormons to come over, and then we'll kind of debate on camera. They do actually have quite a few formal debates hosted as yeah, well. I've yeah, been, I've been challenged by those guys because I just, you know, when I first saw their material, I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Then afterwards, I'm like, you guys are jerks, man. Like, you <laughs> No, I'm, I'm not joking. Like, I just get a bad vibe from yep. their cult leader, or sorry, their uh, <laughs> whoever the Jeff Durham or whatever his name is. He's just not polite. Like, he's just like arrogant and i just don't feel good about watching it anymore because i feel like i don't know and that's just my own self judging what i see because that's what we do when we spend some yeah. time in front of a screen and we're like oh is this helpful and if you walk away feeling like oh i don't know because i've seen um in a better time ravi zacharias through apologetics really wrestling with some tough questions and, and engaging people but i almost felt like from the one i watched where it looks like he actually really cares about like that what that person's navigating sure and through the lens of respecting like what do you believe that's 
quite interesting. And so I think I don't think it's effective ministry if it is just showmanship or like, see, told you, or like, I don't know. I don't believe you can intellectually convince someone that Jesus is real. I think, you know, for Christ to have done work in someone and then they go and maybe get some information that helped round out some ideas. Yeah, that could be helpful. Yeah. But I don't know if that's like the, um, the norm. I think that I would venture to say Christians would go to that to just feel good about what they believe, not to help understand or help to yeah, do you think it's do you think it's connected at all to, you know, you have your Ben Shapiro's and you have your others and the whole point is like, oh man, he owned them. That's do you what think all there, the titles do you think say. there's a Christian version of that where it's like, man, we we owned those atheists. Yeah. I think there can be. Um and it's always hard when you're like judging someone's maybe their heart behind it is really good, but we're just judging how it comes across yep. a lot of times, right? Yep. And yeah, I'll admit I've watched, you know, some Ben Shapiro debates or Matt Walsh debates and it's interesting because I'm like, oh man, they bring up really good arguments, but it always does kind of come across as like, oh, those idiot liberals, we destroyed them. Like, and I would worry that it could come across as that, like, hey, let's invite this atheist to our church to debate Christianity and we're going to destroy him. It's like, it's kind of a weird thing to do. And it, it might sound weird. I, if you're not a Christian listening, um, it might sound weird, but it feels it feels awkward as a Christian to be like, I'm going to listen to this debate about what is true and what is not. It's not really <laughs> like it's it's not like sure. two options that could potentially be real. It's like, OK, let's debate truth versus non-truth. So then when you're in a debate like that, um, obviously, if you don't believe it, you're not going to walk away believing it. Sure. Because you don't believe it. And yeah. if you do believe it, you're going to walk away all puffed up and conceited because, oh, yeah, they, they said mm-hmm. this and it was really good. So I agree with Cameron, actually. I think that um, there are certain people that love intellectual debate. Sure. Um, and so I would agree if if God is working in someone's heart and has brought them to a point where something like that, like I wouldn't put it past God to use something like that to help someone follow him or find him. Yep. Um but he it, does that with everything. Like, yeah, yeah, it's it's just a weird tension. Like, I feel like you could have... W- we've lost some of this art in our day and age for, for the vast majority, I believe, anyways. The ability totally. to actually have a conversation where you disagree uh, that totally. would actually be edifying to both people. Um, so I think that debates, quote-unquote, are actually better left to, like, a group of people talking about something around their Bibles or around yeah, friends um, because you can still have healthy, really healthy intellectual debate, but yeah. there's relationship there. Yeah. Then. And Christians I think are that's really not thing. good at that though. Christians are really not good at disagreeing. I agree. And yesterday, so yesterday <laughs> we just split churches when we disagree. We well, don't it's, like, yeah. we don't, it's true. Yep. You know, I'm being tongue in cheek, but it's often, it's like, yeah. you think about the worship wars that happened 20 years ago where it was like hymns or choruses and lots of churches rather than like, let's wrestle through this biblically and like theologically. It was like, you go over there and well, then that. we're going to, we're going to take half of you and go start our own church where we only sing hymns. It's kind of like, right. man, can we not like just learn how to argue? Well, disagree sure. and argue and then still be like, okay, we still love each other. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tanya saw that yesterday. So at the city we had a training, there was 30 of us and we were able to invite a couple um, nonprofits. So, there was disagreement and discord in that, but it was in a professional setting where it's like you don't get to like scour away and whimper. 
share your piece like share your knowledge and, and if you're not comfortable with that then don't share your knowledge yeah, yeah. you may not have any yeah which that's fine too so i think um one thing i really appreciate about this one um forum that i get to be a part of through seminary is we the the person that leads it is really mindful of like you do not walk into a situation where you're where you've already set like they're wrong in the way that they view jesus you better ask yourself, what is God doing with in these this people group? Where can you see evidence of God working? Because if you don't go in through that lens or that standpoint, you have to look at it like God weeping over this lost group of people. And is there anything that they're doing? And, and mm-hmm. often reminded of the, the idol to the unknown God. Like, what is God doing? Because to say he's not doing anything conflicts with who you believe God is. Yeah. So, yeah, they may it, be missing the mark in some areas, maybe lots of areas. But to say that no one among them is... It um, creates an us versus them mentality. Yeah, totally. And Um, it lets us us elude the fact that we were lost. And and it lets Mm. us... um, The fact that you might even be wrong on some things. Which we often are. Or just missing the mark and where we can actually... Yeah. Look at maybe some of the, the the way someone views God and the way they express themselves through worship, or the way they serve, or the way they give, like you mentioned on Sunday, and let us course correct a little bit. But I don't know some of these forums; they just feel like a pride. Yeah, and I so I looked up because I I knew I'm like I know Paul talks about this, the idea of like destroying arguments, and I think this is where possibly people okay get this idea so second corinthians 10 he says for though we walk in the flesh we're not waging war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds and then he says we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of god and take every thought captive to obey christ being ready to punish every disobedience when you're being complete so i could see people reading that and going it's our job to go out there and destroy all these arguments against god and i'm like okay i, I can see where you but you have to understand Paul's like writing to a church of people that he knows. I think um, the idea of destroying arguments is not like we're going to own the libs. That's such a, a bad interpretation of like, let's go destroy their arguments. Um, I think the, the best place that this kind of stuff takes place in is relationships with people. Yeah. Like if some guy just came up to me in the street and was like yelling at me, I'm, not going to listen to you. Yeah. But when Corlin comes and says, Hey, Andrew, I, I saw you said something yesterday that like kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Like, can we talk about it? Like, yep. did you mean this? Yeah. And you're coming against one of my opinions or arguments, but I respect you. And we're friends yep. way more than the guy standing on the street corner being like, you're going to go to hell. If you don't, I'm like, yeah. no one is listening to you. <laughs> yeah. I, I but, think so. Sorry, let me finish because yep, I, I don't want to lose my thought. Yep. But there are people who are like, no, we should go out and street preach at people because that's what God tells us to do. And we should go out. And I just go, I wonder how much actual fruit comes from that. There's a guy, I can't remember his name, but he always, I think he lives in Toronto. He's like an African guy with like short kind of, but he always goes with his little megaphone hmm. and there's video after video after video. I think I know who you're talking David about. David something. I, I'm not sure his but name, anyways, but I think I know who you're talking about. And he'll about. go and he'll stand and, and he'll street preach through his little megaphone, yelling at people to repent because they're going to hell, believe in the gospel. And I go, okay, like you're saying Jesus name out there, but what, 
the fruit that I see in every single video is that there's then just a group of people who are yelling and screaming back at him. And you make money off your monetization and, on YouTube. And I don't see anyone going, interesting thought. Can you tell me more about Jesus? Like, yeah. I see them going, you're an idiot. Turn off your megaphone. Like, this is so not fruitful. So for me, I'm like, I think the, the best kind of gospel conversations and even debates happen in relationship with people. Like some of my best arguments are with people that I actually know, like that I care about. So uh, not complete strangers. But then like if I'm in the grocery store and this has never happened, but if some guy came up and said, hey, you're the pastor, I think Christianity is stupid. And sure, I'd have an an argument with him because it happened, but I'm not going to go to no frills and stand on a box and be like, listen, no frills. Jesus is judging all Mm because they don't know me. They could care less. Right. Like I think that that's where we forget how the church is designed, right? Like you think of all of the relationships that each one of us individually has, all the connections we have. And if our job is to go and love our neighbors as ourselves, then we would tell our neighbor about Jesus. Totally. But guess how many people that neighbor is connected to? And then how many people those people are connected to? So it does spread like wildfire where God allows it. Uh, but yeah, I... Would I say there's a time and place to like stand on a soapbox? Maybe. But I think that you'd have to like, uh, I think it's, I think his name is Todd Friel from Wretched Radio. I've seen him do something where he like stands with a mic and then like a ways away. So it's not awkward for the person. He'll put a mic for them to be able to respond and then he'll stand and preach in an open public space. But if someone has something to say, he allows them to come up to the mic and they can speak into the mic if they're willing. And it's heard for everyone to hear. And then they usually have, hopefully, some kind of discourse. Uh, and I would say out of all the people I've seen have any kind of debate, he does it relatively well. Hmm. Um, yeah, there's still the YouTube views. Yeah, there's still whatever. And I, I would agree. Something I think, too, sometimes I think we can forget Uh, that people online can have internet personalities, even Christians. And I don't think that's healthy. Right. Um, Like I've, I've heard that Doug Wilson is not actually like he is in his videos at all. Hmm. And so I, I haven't met the man, so I don't know. But when you hear stuff like that, you got to ask then, then why are you doing that? It creates controversy, controversy that isn't necessary. But what you were saying with having relationship, I think that's, to me that stuck out quite a bit yeah um, i always laugh because then they're as they're yelling into their megaphones i love you brother i'm like no, you don't even know him and yeah. you're just yelling at him you don't love him like yeah it's yeah. kind of a waste of the word and <laughs> if you're listening and you're wondering like the difference between arguing with another person about their faith and then maybe andrew you standing on uh the the pulp at the pulpit on a sunday saying like be very mindful like there this is happening throughout the christian faith and like sure. there's this group of evangelical Christians on this bent and I don't believe that's the way we should go sure. avoid that that is different than arguing that's more so your responsibility as the lead pastor to say you know this is the interpretation that I and the elders have for the way this church is guided and sure. we see this body and it's harmful and avoided at all costs so sure I think that's it's very like a different. warning yeah yeah well that's your job yeah <laughs> a big a big part of it um and so that may look like not giving that other position a, a chance to argue, but there's some situations where yeah. it just wouldn't make sense. And so that's where 
that's where I'm challenging it on the forum yeah. or the, that public forum because well even online yeah. stuff Christians are bad at this too we just argue in the comments section yep. and I go bunch I really, of keyboard warriors well I, and I always I always wonder like okay how much fruit does this yeah. bring like is someone actually reading the comments going oh interesting I think I want to follow Jesus or is it just like man these guys are just being really mean and yelling at each other online like yeah. And I've I've posted a few things in the past where then it kind of and so I've just kind of stopped yep. posting stuff because I'm like it just doesn't do anything in my opinion. But there are people who and I know people because I've had conversations. No, it's our job to push back and to post things and to argue. And I'm like, I really don't think it is like like, I, like Jesus did when he was being uh, unjustly. Yeah, he fought yeah. back when he was being nailed to the cross. Yeah. Read Isaiah yeah. 53. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. exactly. Or even uh, is it First Peter that says like he did he ne- this is my paraphrase but it said he never when he was struck he didn't strike back the idea of like it wasn't like I'm gonna get back the shot you. for shot no he just kind of took it so I think the thing with relationship too if you're looking like if you're listening to this and you're like yeah but I still think that this is a good idea to like go out and do this thing um, I I would ask if you're married to consider in your marriage, is it better for you to go and have a heartfelt discussion where you go to your husband or wife and say, hey, I have been noticing that I feel this way when you Mm -hmm. do this. Can we please work through this? Can we like actually try and sort this out? Like what's happening? I just want YouTube video and then get my wife to watch it. (laughs) But like. Like, seriously. Yeah, there probably are some of us who have just shot a a text to our spouse been like this. I would argue that 90% of the time that's a failure on your part. Unless, like I recognize maybe there's a time where time yeah, and place to be like, I, we need to talk. Yeah, 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 sure. But like if you're just going to go in and so here's a, a good example. Um, Aaron and I, you know, couples will always fight over who has enough blanket. It's just a practical <laughs> thing. Get but at blankets, night, man. yeah, get a king size, like a could. king size blanket. <laughs> All right, that's no, episode no 96. <laughs> um, Let's hear more marriage wisdom from Corlin. <laughs> but what <laughs> You've been married for like 8 minutes. 8 yeah, just about. Continue. What what happens is you end up fighting over who has enough blanket and like it's funny cuz Aaron told me this story. I don't even remember the interaction cuz I was half asleep and we had been stealing the blanket from each other and it just turned into the I need more blanket. I need more blanket. Neither like she remembers it and laughs about it cuz we're both basically asleep and just <laughs> whatever but was that more fruitful than if like i don't know if we had just been like hey how about uh let's figure out something to do this a blanket's a bad example because don't, don't talk know. to me when i'm sleeping <laughs> <laughs> but like i don't know if you're coming home and feel like you're always the one doing the dishes would it not be more helpful to actually have a conversation about that instead of just get mm-hmm. mad and grunt about it or yeah. to like do the dishes angrily to be like there i did them so boom right like build relationship actually yep do something about it and more than just a passing by you're going totally. to hell statement. Yeah. So I think, yeah, to summarize, I think we're all kind of in agreement that those kind of conversations aren't fruitful when you don't have a relationship with someone. Like I think it's way more fruitful when you are walking with someone through life and then you can have these kind of, and I'm sure it could get heated and, yep. but at least you know them and you actually care about them. And the relationship exists to have those kind of conversations. So, oh man, I wonder if we're going to get angry emails. This is great. We've, uh, that's, but that's just from observing the outside. I just don't see a whole lot of fruit in like 
you know, let's go out there and debate people on the street. It's like, I, I'd be curious to see how many people have you actually like won for Christ in that? And I'm not saying there's none, but I remember one guy said like, no one is argued into the kingdom of God. Yeah. Like if we really believe it's the spirit of God who draws people, like our job is to go and share the gospel lovingly with people. I don't think anyone is like, yelled at into the kingdom yeah that's true i should go and follow jesus because you screamed at me through a megaphone like i don't know if that happens man like (laughs) maybe it's a weird thought but i honestly think the only good way to actually preach from a soapbox is to legitimately just preach the gospel over and over and when people come and get mad if if they're mad leave listen to them or if they just are like well what about this what about this to just keep preaching the gospel and i i mean it like don't stray from your course because then if they have questions it'll force them to go and ask people that they know right sure yeah. I, I don't know there we go i think we answered it uh emails Man, can be sent to cameron at hotmail.com <laughs> sure yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at yahoo.ca that's right <laughs> backslash gov or something like that (laughs) anyways uh this has been episode 96 thanks for tuning in we are four episodes away from our 100th episode and we're gonna come up with a banger of an episode for that one so thanks for tuning in tell your friends we could have a debate we'll have a debate for our 100th episode (laughs) and uh we will talk to you next week